0: The following episode contains material of a graphic nature and coarse language. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Police now say there are 11. Then last
2: week, police unearthed the remains of five people on the Baumeister's grounds. The bones may have been in
1: the woods for 16 months. Police say they have one daunting task remaining, identifying the victims. Then they say that would close a sad and macabre serial murder case that spanned decades.
2: Mr. Baumeister's lawyer called the judge and asked to delay a divorce hearing. He couldn't find his client. Apparently, Canadian police have dead of an apparent suicide.
1: Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better Then when I felt like I really offered society something.
3: You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Very briefly I saw someone in the woods and it was just a person it looked like somebody walking through with a red shirt on.
2: And I said, where is he? And she said, well, he's gone. I said, well, where did he go? And she said, well, um, I didn't tell you, but that's the second time I've seen it.
4: The serial killer is extremely intelligent.
2: I was standing right outside these doors, looked over to the woods, and a um, relatively young man walking away, and he had, it was the same, looked like the same guy, had a red t-shirt on. I think there were times his parents were afraid of him, I'm going to be honest. I think there were times that when he would flip into certain rages or things that children can do. He, He looked like he was going to walk into a tree. And then when I looked a little closer, he didn't have any legs. He disappeared and he just sort of disappeared into the tree.
3: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. It's your host, Brendan Shea, and my lovely co-host, as always...
0: Annie Weibel. What's up, Shea?
3: I don't know. We, uh, you know, just are getting off this gigantic... Well, at least I am getting off this high of watching Ohio State thump the shit out of Michigan for once again, the seventh year in a row, Ohio State remains 7-0 and zero against Michigan and I am so happy so happy
0: we just officially turned into a sports podcast because he's been prancing around the house for the last three hours in his joy so congratulations on your victory Shay
3: thank you very much Weeby and I like really appreciate that because I love Ohio State so much but to get down to business here we are another week of Serial Spirits the Podcast part two of her Baumeister, and we have something special planned for you guys right now, because we have an interview that we did this week with somebody who did a documentary that ties themselves directly to her Baumeister, and there was a lot of stuff that was off the record that we will not play for you, but this guy directly ties into her Baumeister, and we are so proud to have this, so I'm going to turn it over to you, Weebs, right now, because you have some... Great stuff to say about what this episode is going to be about.
0: So, what I'm going to do is a quick recap for those of you who may not have heard the first part. Uh, part one, Herb Baumeister Homicide to Haunting. This is officially part two, but I want to give a little recap of her Baumeister's crimes so that when you hear what we have for you uh, in the interview with the documentarian coming up in just a few minutes. Maybe it will jog some mem- memory or help you understand a little bit about what uh, we have encountered in our research for Fox Hollow Farm. So crime recap, I just threw that in there. You like that?
3: Yeah, that's funny. Thanks.
0: Thanks. Okay, Uh, during the 1980s and 1990s, Herb Baumeister allegedly murdered 27 men that he met and brought back to his property at Fox Hollow Farms in Carmel, Indiana, disposing of their bodies on the surrounding property. It's theorized that the missing men were murdered in the indoor pool room of Fox Hollow Farm by strangulation after a survivor of a Baumeister abduction came forward and recounted his tale to authorities. Months into the investigation, Baumeister disappeared. His body found in Canada on July 3rd, 1996. Suicide by gunshot wound to the head, the apparent cause. The subsequent findings of human remains at Fox Hollow earned Baumeister the moniker of the I-70 Strangler. So, the majority of these men are still missing. But they were able to actually identify four or five of the people who uh, had been buried at Fox Hollow Farm. However, Herb Baumeister was never brought to justice if he was the I-70 Strangler because he died by his own hand months into the investigation. So what you're going to hear in the next few minutes is an interview with a filmmaker by the name of Dan T. Hall. Dan is a filmmaker from Indianapolis who has kind of specialized in these paranormal type documentaries. If you have the opportunity, you can look them up on Vimeo. It's V-I-M-E-O on demand. And you can see all of the documentaries that Dan has filmed and produced, including the one that you will hear the interview about right now on her Baumeister and The Haunting at Fox Hollow Farm.
3: We're going to get into a lot of stuff too where we we don't know how many parts this episode is actually going to be. Like it's probably going to be another episode after this. You know, this is part 2, but we got all the uh information and the contact information for a lot of people who are involved with this investigation. And as I said before in the last episode like this is what serial spirits like is based on. We want to bring you the exclusive interviews, the exclusive investigations of things that happened that could eventually have caused hauntings. and Fox Hollow Farms is evidently one of those amazing places where because of somebody's depraved acts, they caused spirits to linger. They caused energy to disperse that caused all these incredible fucked up things to keep occurring in this location. And I even asked the guy, you'll hear me ask him in the interview, was this place haunted before that? And he blatantly says, no, there was no evidence of any kind of haunting or anything like that before her Baumeister became associated with this property. So let's get into it right now. Let's go ahead and hear our our incredible interview with Dan T. Hall, who, you know, had the incredible opportunity to investigate and document the hauntings and check out the murder that happened at Fox Hollow Farm.
4: Okay.
2: He would talk to the skull. It's almost like, again, I don't, he's not saying trophy to me, but it was like, that was the person. Straight from these logs, straight over there on the trail. Where are the skulls from all of his victims?
4: Is it possible that an accomplice to Herb's atrocities is still out there?
0: All right, so we are here with filmmaker Dan T. Hall. Dan, how are you? Thank you for being part of Serial Spirits.
2: Well, thanks for reaching out. I appreciate that.
0: No, absolutely. So, you know, we are doing this episode about uh, the haunting at Fox Hollow Farm. We Mm -hmm. actually did the first part of this two-part episode that was solely about the crimes that her. Baumeister allegedly committed. Oh, so okay. the second part is we are trying to tie the homicides. <coughs> in. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, no,
2: you're in. just You sneezed. Sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, you're fine. Okay. We are tying the homicides to the haunting at Fox Hollow Farm. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to reach out to someone who had experienced Fox Hollow because Brendan and I have not. And in doing a little research, uh, your uh, film came up. And so in 2011, you did a documentary called The Haunting of Fox Hollow Farm. And this is not your one and only paranormal documentary, correct?
2: Right, uh, I kind of stumbled into this, uh, and I'm not a ghost hunter. I'm not. I leave that up to the professionals or psychics, or whatever. I just go and I document um, what they find, and then I try to control all the evidence. So I try. To, what I try to do is, I'll just, um, I'll set it up, and I'll get people that I know I can trust and I work with, and I'll take them to a location and try to, you know, keep everything. Secure and the evidence and that kind of stuff, and then take it back and edit it. And then, so uh, what we come up with in all my documentaries is all it's been, you know, it's it's first generation stuff. So it's not anything that's been manipulated or.
0: So how did you uh, how did you find out about the Baumeister case? I know you are from <clears throat> Indianapolis, correct? So so you're not far in distance. but right. How did that come to your? Attention. Was it something that you've known about since the crimes happened in the 80s and the 90s, or is it more recent?
2: Well, it's it, I, at first it just was more of a kind of a happenstance thing. I, I was um, I went to hear a, a local band play at a place where uh, I also play music, so I went to uh, there was a place up on the north side that had a band play, and I'm listening to the band, and some guy comes up and says, "Hey." You know, friend of mine uh, just bought this property up at you know in westfield and you know supposedly this is where serial killer lived and you know all this kind of stuff and kind of went and told me about it and i <clears throat> i vaguely remembered it because that was like the 90s and i you know i was busy i was raising kids and, and that kind of stuff so um mm-hmm. i remember it you know hit the, the news pretty good but it wasn't like um overwhelmingly like part of my psyche at that point and then uh But the more he talked about it, the more it sounded kind of interesting and nobody had been there. And thats I kind of like to go to places where um, no one's really been there to contaminate or to manifest anything or whatever. So we just get there sort of fresh. And um, so I asked them if we could uh, go up and take a look at it. They said, yeah. And then I just, uh, you know, they were eager to have me come up and do a documentary about it. So that's how it started.
0: So your other, you had done paranormal documentaries previous to the Baumeister case, correct?
2: Yeah, I, I my first one in Rose was uh, at Central State Hospital here in Indianapolis. It's now been torn down, a lot of Mm -hmm. that stuff. And that'll be on that uh, that, uh, documentary page that I gave you. But um, we were shooting a kids movie that was on Showtime, actually. And we were using some of the buildings as a dormitory for, these kids that were escaping and going to get on the river and take a journey that kind of thing. And we were there, you know, Friday the 13th, full moon, all the stuff that you're not supposed to do when you're, or maybe you're supposed to do if you're paranormal investigating something. But, but I, at the time I didn't know, I just was trying to make a movie and we had a lot of really bizarre things happen. We had, um, closer to midnight, it was, uh, it became evident that the, this was a dimensional shift. I mean, pe- the crew was getting crazy and guys were leaving. Uh, one guy I was trying to console and I was looking at him and behind him, we had propped open a, a, a pneumatic door uh, to get into and out of this one area. And uh, he was looking at me and I was looking at him, but behind me, I could see that door and he was telling me how he was really nervous about everything and he, all this stuff. and just felt uncomfortable and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, there's absolutely nothing to worry about. And right, I'm not kidding, right when I did that, that door behind just shut right on its own. Mm. Like, uh, you, you don't know what you're in for. And we've had, right. had some crazy stuff happen there. So, And I took, at that point, I finished the movie, and then I um, contacted some psychics uh, that I knew, and then um, some ghost hunters, which I didn't know. I didn't really know a lot of those at that particular time. Um, but I found some guys that I thought were cool. And we went back and spent, you know, you know a couple weeks there just really going through and Trying to figure out what was going on, I was just trying to answer the questions that were brought up. When I was there filming my movie, which was not an investigation, it was a, we we're just shooting for a film. So right, yeah. and that's how it all started, and I just kept rolling with it. So
0: I think we know other filmmakers actually who have gotten into the paranormal field in the exact same way. They go in to shoot in different places, and then it, these places, unbeknownst to them, have this type of activity. And Mm -hmm. as the activity picks up when they're filming, they've actually switched gears and started, you know, filming these paranormal documentaries. And so it's actually not an uncommon way um, to get into it. Mm -hmm. So your first impression of Fox Hollow Farm, when you got there, when you actually physically got to the property, what was your first impression of the location?
2: well it was a paradox because uh i know the guy that i I knew the guy that bought it um from i'd met him like out and um we had talked about it and he was he's trying to fix it up and restore it so he's working on making it look like it did when it was first built so he's fixing the outside he's getting the grass is always cut really good and you know and there was horses in the field next to it and you know in the barn and that kind of stuff and i thought well you know it's really an odd Feeling I'm having because I I like this area, but then you know to know the heaviness of what was really going on or had gone on there. I thought you know it's just it was really conflicting. So mm-hmm. I, um, I I think that's really about it. I just kind of you know stepped into that and trying to figure out well you know what what went on here. And
0: so how much time did you actually spend there during the course of filming? Did you do uh, because the do- the documentary is just over an hour long. Right. And it appears that you were there multiple occasions did were you there several different occasions, or did you shoot that all in one single night?
2: Oh no, no, we were there i would I can't remember exactly now, but I'm pretty sure it was over a month of, okay. of going out there and shooting and well because we brought you know ground penetrating radar out, I brought right. several different crews out and so I mean there were um there were several instances I would go. I went out a couple of times just kind of on my own and to see if I could pick up anything different. And
0: So throughout the course of the documentary, you speak with and film a, a multitude of people, paranormal investigators, psychics, mm-hmm. uh, demonologists, even a Native American shaman. Mm-hmm. So, did you ask those people to come to the property, or, or were they already involved with this in another way, and you just said, hey, can I film you doing this?
2: No, these are all people that I had worked with on, that, that had been in part of my other documentaries. So, I knew them, and I'd worked with them in various levels for the, the things that um, that I'd done previous. And then the the shaman I had met... Through, uh, I sponsored a, a, a kind of a psychic fair here, a body, mind, spirit fair where they kind of did a lot of holographic stuff and holistic healing and that kind of stuff. And um, I just became pretty good friends with them and um, we. He always wanted to kind of do something like this, and I thought, well, that would be a good twist on it because it would be great to kind of figure out what he he gets when he goes out there. So that's what we did.
0: So when you bring in these individuals and, and the ones that you worked with at Fox Hollow, what was your impression of each individual or each individual group? Because the way that they go about doing their research at Fox hollow is so different. You know, you've got the paranormal mm-hmm. investigators who are using their equipment. Like you said, you've got the people coming out doing the uh, ground penetrating radar, and then you've got the psychics and the demonologist and the shaman who come in and just go solely off of what they feel physically and emotionally. So what was your impression of, of these? Do you tend to lean towards one opinion more than the other? Or was it just to get an entirety of what everyone felt there?
2: Well, I used to... well, first of all, going into an investigation like this, I if I have multiple groups and even the psychics and the ghost hunters, I will I keep them separate, and I try not to. I don't give them any background information. They may have come up with stuff on their own, but there were things that we knew internally that um, they came up with that there's no way they would have figured that out. So, um, so going in, you know, everybody supposedly is is not in contact with each other, and. Um, Moving forward and going through. Now, I used to um, consider psychics kind of like the, uh, especially with Central State, was like the canary in the coal mine. I know that's Mm -hmm. probably an older saying. but
0: No, I know exactly um, what you mean. Mm
2: -hmm. And so that way, because I always felt, and uh, we can get into this in another situation, another interview or something, but I always felt like I was immune from anything that was going on there because I was the filmmaker. I was just a fly on the wall, so nothing really... Affect me or would want to. They were the ones that were taking the, the heat, you know, the professionals. That's what I call them. I just leave all that stuff, the heavy lifting to them. I just record what they do. So um, after, you know, working with some of these situations that, you know, we had the different kinds of people coming through and they were coming up with a lot of the same um, answers and a lot of the same viewpoints about things, um, it, it tended to just reaffirm. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but it tended to reaffirm the this the dimensional shift that goes on in places like that. And so right. there's just so much more than what we uh, don't see, you know, And so they're just a lot of there's different eyes on the, on the same situation, but they all were coming up with the same stuff, which is cool, I thought so.
0: And that's what makes it interesting is to see, like you said, the different individuals in their totally different techniques all coming up with some of the same information. And if yeah. you watch the documentary, Haunting of, of Fox Hollow Farm, which you can find on YouTube, um, you begin to see that, especially as, you know, it, towards the the middle and the end of the documentary when you're kind of bringing all of this information together and you have these different individuals in there using their various Techniques. Um, mm-hmm. It's very interesting to see, like you said, how each of these line up, and it almost starts to tell a behind-the-scenes story. But even at that, and we'll get into this in, in a couple of minutes with some other questions that I have. It even brings up more questions. Mm-hmm. You know, you you tend to mm-hmm. answer some questions, and then you make uh, entirely new questions from what you're finding out. Mm -hmm. So, uh, were there any compelling firsthand encounters that you had while filming at Fox Hollow? Or did you experience anything yourself or anything that you were able to capture on film or audio that you thought was really compelling?
2: Well, I th- there are a lot of really interesting EVPs. I mean, mm-hmm. some that are just, you know, like almost full sentences of stuff. And they all are related to, you know, what happened there. Some of them, of them, when we first got them, weren't really sure how they related until we got more information and then we figured out, well, that's what that means, right? So um, I think that was pretty impacting. I think being down, well, two areas, being down in the pool room, you know in the middle of the night you know with the lights out and you're you're, you're waiting for something i was <clears throat> i think i'm trying to think who was ahead of me it might have been michelle huff i'm not sure or it could have been um I'm, i'd have to go back and look at the film or maybe it was jill mm-hmm. uh jill Warner. but we were walking towards the pool the pump room in the pool room and um She stopped for a second and, you know, and I just respond to them. Right. So when they're doing whatever, i just stop. And then um, it felt like something was walking. I'm not. And I think I have that on on the recording somewhere, but it felt like and you could hear and it just it was just us two. And there was like someone walking up behind us. And so when I turned around, I didn't really get anything except that noise you know, stops.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So we were there, I mean, stuff like that for me. <clears throat> and then there was a real definite thing when I was uh, when Chris Lean and uh, Savannah Wise were in, uh, we, they were kind of doing an EVP session and there was a, a rattling of these doors I thought was really pretty impacting and nobody else was down in the basement. So a lot of times when I go into these places, I will, and you know, I just really try to get total control of it so that I know that if something does happen, you know, it's pretty much you know coming from someplace we don't really know, and and that those were a couple things where
3: it was pretty impacting to me. So you said that you did, you know, when you got some of this evidence and doing the research. Had you had you like done the research before the investigators got there? Like, had you already known the the accounts of stuff that happened, like the timeline of supposedly how the victims were killed before? the paranormal team was actually there or did you go back after you guys reviewed evidence and then figured out you know what the history of the location really was and how it tied into the evidence
2: well, that's a good question and what i what i try to do is i try to go in and i initially will do as much research as i can but i don't share that with any of these guys i just it's almost like a check you know checks and balances i guess of what's going on so I knew some of the things that they were talking about, you know, when they were saying, I thought, well, that makes sense. This is right. This is where it happened. And, you know, they would, a lot of them um, would go directly to that pool pump room. And that's where, you know, we have some um, folkloral evidence. I'm not really sure. It's It was from the victim that escaped, but he was saying that there were some people that were t- killed in that particular room or left there or something. So, um I don't know if that answers your question, or not, but that's sort of like <clears throat>
3: that's what I, I did. did.
2: I lost my. Well, I mean, it
3: it makes I mean, you know, it, it does. It, it's compelling when you when you being the outside guy, like you said. You know, you're not the paranormal investigator. You're this. You're this, the documentarian, and you're hearing this evidence that they're catching in real time, and you're like, wow, that's uh, that. You know, corresponds to what the research I did. I mean, that just makes it ten times more. Believable and it's compelling. Well, it, well, thanks. It's
2: it's my job for, for, to the viewers that watch my stuff to come through with things that I that I know are to be true and real, and not anything that's manufactured. You know, we're not. I'm not going there looking for ghosts. I'm, if anything, I'm trying to prove that there isn't you know something happening. Yeah. But you no, know, that stuff happens that way. So,
0: so was there ever a point during the filming there um, where you, that you were frightened? did you ever experience anything there that really frightened you or see any of the investigators or anyone else that you worked with become really frightened of what they had experienced at Fox hollow farm?
2: Yeah, I, I never was, um, I'm just kind of silly that way. I'm never, I was never really frightened, I guess. Um, but I saw, uh, several of the, inve- I the investigators, um, one big guy, Uh, just break down and start crying, you know, right in the pool room. I mean, just like sobbing about just the sorrow. It was pretty amazingly impacting. And then another guy who um, was in there, I'm not going to tell you their names, but it typically was guys, it wasn't any of the females, but uh, another guy that was in there um, when we were doing an EBP session, basically got so ill, he had to leave and he was throwing up outside. I mean, it was just a bizarre thing like that. So Whatever's going on there, whatever vortex is open throughout that particular place, you know, it still exists there, I believe. And I think that there are effects that it has on us, you know, in this reality as well. So,
0: Do you think that it's the energy of Herb Baumeister that's still there? Or do you think it's the energy of his victims there? Because when you talk about it being more impactful towards men, that absolutely makes sense because... Mm -hmm you know, we don't feel like he murdered any women there. You know, there were, what, 27 men that disappeared. Do you think it's it's the energy left behind of the acts that were performed there or the energy left behind of, you know, for lack of a better word, the spirits that could remain there of, of the people that he allegedly killed?
2: Um. That's a multifaceted question, which I, I think it's, it's a pretty good one. I do believe, um, I, th- I'll just say that I, I think more than just men were killed there. I think the majority yeah. were men. Yeah. Um, that's what I, um, gather from some of the people that I've talked to about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, um, as far as the energy, it was kind of filtered in some sense because, uh, couple of the psychics you know picked directly up on like a herb energy you know they would just like and you could just tell when they were talking about it It was really sort of a deceptive deceptful, um you know conflicted but you know purposeful energy and then you know when they would pick up like the guys when they got sick and walk out i believe that that was or ran out i believe that was um the victims you know that Th- that energy was strong too for a lot of people. And, you know, even Blue Hawks, he picked up on, you know, up in the bedroom area, he picked up on a couple guys that, um, you know, I don't know if he directly communicated with them, but he picked up on their energy or the residual right. part of what happened to them. So.
0: so, in mentioning this before, you said you don't feel that men were the only people murdered there. Can, mm-hmm. can you elaborate at all on that? I mean, I know that a lot of, you know, the majority of what's known about Fox Hollow is, is just speculation because there there are still so many unanswered questions. But right. it, can you elaborate on that some as to, as to why you feel like maybe men weren't his only victims? Um,
2: I don't really have any solid evidence about it. I just know from there was some testimony from some people about it that... Um, I don't think I have, I don't think I recorded that because it was sort of off the record Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, So let me back up. So this particular situation up there, uh, it, it, it had been occurring long before Fox Hollow.
0: Hi, this is Annie Weibel.
3: And Brendan Shea. And you're listening to Serial Spirits Podcast on the Paranormal UK Radio Network.
2: So, if, if we knew the amount of people that were really affected by this, the alleged murders, like the I-70 murders and all that kind of stuff, and if, if those could be tied to Herb, then, you know, he could be the most prolific serial killer in the United States history. It, there's just so many more stones to turn over mm-hmm. to find out stuff about this guy and what he did. And, um, and this goes back, you know, I, I can remember people missing and disappearing like in the, the late 80s, right? So, mm-hmm. and, you know, if you can put all that together. And when I talked to the detectives who's now retired from the Hamilton County Department or uh, Police Department, they have several cases that are like John Doe's up there that they, can, they can't they can really time anybody, but they are pretty sure they have the same sort of MO as what the rest of these guys did. So that being said, uh, it's a lot for... It's a lot of history, it's a lot of territory, and I think as that, as that wake widens, other people get caught up in it, and I think, um, I don't know, we'll we'll never know the, the amount of damage or involvement that people have had in that whole thing. A
4: lot of investigators wouldn't have taken this case, and Mr. Vandegrift did because of his background in homicide investigations. and
1: and around the swimming pool or in the area of the swimming pool was mannequins. The person I met had said that his name was uh, Brian Smart and that he was a caretaker of the property while the property owner was out of town.
3: Do you mean like as far as the history, is there stuff that predated her Baumeister even before he even owned the property? Like, was there people murdered in that location before? No,
2: no. No, I think before he got there, I think it was totally fine. I don't think there was anything there, but I think as soon as he got there, he – because now it doesn't look like that because people are building up all around him. But back in the 90s, it was like the country. I mean, there were – you know there was like – I mean, you could go – you could get away with murder, and he did, Mm. you know, so Mm –
0: Right, because it was a fairly remote location at that point, correct? Right,
2: correct, yes.
0: Right. So, were they ever? Were there any specific women that they, like you said, just in the wake of everything that happens, so many people and, and so many stories get drawn in. Does were there any specific women that that come to mind that? You know, family, because I know the, you know, in in hearing the, for the listeners who listened to the first part of Mm -hmm. the podcast, we talked a lot about uh, Virgil Vandegrift and all of the investigating that he did. And honestly, had it not been for him, none of this would have ever happened. You know, right. Her Baumeister could have you know, allegedly gone on and and murdered more and more people and, but he was able to kind of put a stop to this because people's families reached out to him and said, my son is missing. Uh So do you know of any, were there any family members that reached out to uh, Mr. and said, my daughter's missing? Do you think it's a possibility?
2: No, I don't think uh, that I don't know, but you could you could probably get a hold of him, and he would be happy to, I'm sure, talk with you about this. Yeah,
0: yeah, I would I love I to. Still, because
2: I don't know if I still have his contact information or not, but I'll see if I can find it. But yeah, uh,
0: I I think that's absolutely fascinating because if yeah. you know, like you said, the wake is so large, it's who's to know. You know the the gender or the age. Yes, there was. A pattern that they found, but they just assume mm-hmm. that because of of the bodies that they found. Who knows about right. the remains that are there that that were never um, identified?
2: Yeah, I mean, they still find fragments of stuff. So, um,
0: so this is something that I found interesting as well from the research that I did uh, for the first part of the series, and then in uh, other I guess you would say other articles that I've read. And then your documentary uh, varying accounts of how her Baumeister's remains were found. So during the documentary, you interview a man who said he found Baumeister's body on a beach, kind of in pristine condition. You know, he was he was well-dressed, even appeared as he was almost like wearing a funeral parlor makeup Mm -hmm. With a gunshot wound to the head, but no gun. And then there were also accounts that he was pulled over, I think, by Royal Canadian Mounted Police Mm -hmm. and said there were accounts that his car was full of his belongings, including a bunch of videotapes that were in the back of the car. Mm -hmm. But then (coughs) when everything else, when all of his belongings were found... None of this was ever officially recovered. Mm -hmm. So do you have any theories about kind of the varying accounts of how Baumeister's remains were found Um, and what happened to him, how he came to be either on that beach or in his car?
3: Well, I know
2: he he I don't think he was pulled over when he was in Canada, but I think he would, he was sleeping on the side of the road
3: mm-hmm.
2: and they uh, they somebody called about the car and then he was then awoken up i think that's that's what I think I remember about okay that. and that's where they saw all his belongings they saw the videotapes I mean a lot of videotapes in the back and then um according to the witness that we found up in Canada that Actually, he lived in Michigan and then he drove, he was up there with his family on a vacation and we drove, I actually drove up to where this spot was. And we, I, I think it's even in the video, right? So it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a while. I'm sorry, since I watched it. Oh, it's okay. He was with his children and he, he found Herb. Well, he saw, I thought it was a log basically. And then when he rolls up on it, it's, it's a Herb laid out, you know, with the orientation to specific part of, you know, like I think he said it was you know, perpendicular to this path that was going through the, the beach, and um, almost like it was a like he had just been dressed and laid there, and then mm-hmm. the two birds, which are symbolic for a lot of crazy stuff, that were dead, um, pointing towards the beach as well, to the water. So, you don't have to know too much about pagan rituals or those kind of things to understand that there was something bigger, deeper going on there. Now, not finding a gun right off the bat. Well, the the Maldives evidently found it later, and I'm not sure what that all means. And then they they didn't find anything in the car except for a couple of things, but nothing like his his videotapes that were in there and that. So I don't know. And why was he going to Canada? What was he going up there for? What was the drive of that all about? I mean, right? You know, was he escaping to get you know outside of the jurisdiction? of What was going on here? Or you know, were there other things involved?
3: But without a doubt,
2: it was her Baumeister, correct? Yeah, I think they identified him. And then I saw um, the autopsy photos. Oh, wow. And that didn't, it didn't even, there was no question in my mind that he had shot himself. Now, I don't know mm-hmm. what our witness said. So I don't know exactly what happened between those photographs and what he saw, if, you know, anything. But. And, you know, it was dark out and maybe he just didn't see the whole, and he didn't move the body to examine it, right? So it could have been, you know, just his viewpoint or something. But it does, you know, add, you know, he's a credible witness. He's not there. He does he you know, I didn't pay him for that interview. Mm-hmm. He just volunteered to do it. So it wasn't like he was telling me something I wanted to hear. Right. He was telling me what he saw.
0: So I think this even brings up an even deeper question with all of his belongings missing and like you said the you know, the gun that may not have been there at the time but was later found, do you think it's possible that her Baumeister had an accomplice? Someone who helped him maybe dispose of the bodies at Fox Hollow and then, you know, somebody who left with him, who fled with him and said, I'll make sure that no one ever finds out what you've done.
2: So i am going to I'm going to just I'm I'm fainting here cuz we're or I'm diverting for just one quick second. So there was another serial, serial killer, HH H. Holmes, very famous. Yes. And um, he had this house that he built, supposedly mm-hmm. and had all these torture rooms and that kind of stuff in it. It's never just one guy. I mean, if you if and we'll never be able to prove that with HH H. Holmes because I, I don't know how that would even at this point. All the evidence is gone. The house is torn down. That kind of stuff. But if you were, if you have a hobby and you're doing something, you may have a hobby shop in your house, right? And and, and the bigger your hobby gets, and the more stuff you do. Like if you're collecting cars, for example, you'll start with one, and you maybe get two. And if you're if you're really prolific at it, you'll have several cars. You need places to. To house those and you need people to help you with them and then pretty soon other people are going to come along and like your collection want to have you look at their collection and then it just kind of all begins to kind of proliferate into like this massive thing, a network sort of, right? So in, in our world I think there are good people and there are bad people and I think the bad people gravitate, toward, gravitate towards each other so that they can
3: absolutely
2: power up and use their evil power against good people, you know? And so... Um, I don't know if that's a good enough answer for you, but I, because I, the thing about Herb Baumeister is that those people are still running around if there's people involved with him. And there's still mm-hmm. victims' families that are very much impacted by all this. So it's a very sensitive thing. And uh, I, I, I remember when we showed that we premiered the film at the IMAX here in Indianapolis, and um, several of the victims' families came up to me. It was, it was, just got gut-wrenching for me. I don't know. It was just really impacting. and Like, <clears throat> these people that he, that, that these people that were murdered were sometimes, you know, they were outcasts. They were the misfits, you know? Right. I don't know if you've seen the, the recent Queen movie, you know, but yes. that was kind of a band of misfits kind of like that. And these that's what these guys were. They were just looking for companionship and and love, really, and they just kind of found the wrong person to give it to them, and or the wrong situations to be in, and they were sort of the dregs of things. And that's why for a lot of these people never will be identified or found, because right. you know, nobody cared about them. So that's the sad part about it.
0: It is. And I even, at the, the very end of the first half of, of this series that we did, I mentioned something along that lines. You know, these were men who... In the 1980s and 1990s, before it was more socially acceptable to talk about your sexuality or whatever Mm -hmm. your life preference was, um, you know, I, I think a lot of these families may have gone to the police and said, my loved one is missing, my son, my brother. But it wasn't really taken seriously because it was just assumed that they had kind of skipped town so that they mm-hmm. could live a life free of judgment of the people who knew them. And that's what's mm-hmm. so very sad about this. Like you said, a lot of these people will never be identified because it's just unknown. They, they have no idea where their loved ones went.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it is. It's very sad. And it's funny that you mentioned H.H. H. Holmes. Um, his The great grandson of H. H. Holmes is a friend of mine who I've had on my live radio show before. Oh, uh, cool. His name is Jeff Mudgett. Mm-hmm. And he, oh, was yeah. On, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was on a show on the History Channel. They did an entire series about how he was convinced that his great-grandfather was Jack the Ripper. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Incre- incredible story. And it's very compelling if, if you Yeah, if you've never spoken with Jeff Mudgett and you need the, yeah, he's he's incredible.
2: There's a home uh, here in Irvington, downtown Indianapolis, was the last before he went, I think, and was caught up. uh, But he killed two people here and burnt them Mm -hmm. and lived here for a while, and then he kind of took off. He rented a home in Irvington, and that's kind of a famous haunted site that people go to And that, but we did a we did some stuff there it was kind of interesting <clears throat> but, yeah
0: it's but Mudgeon was his yeah
2: yeah h.h H. was his his name and, and i think there's a picture somewhere of him in med school <clears throat> i think it's in my documentary even with the uh, him standing there with a corpse and a couple guys behind him it's it was just creepy was oh
0: yeah creepy. he's interesting yeah absolutely Um, Dan, that is all of the really kind of official questions that I have for you. Is there anything else that you would like to interject or um something of importance that you think i haven't covered already like i said this is going to be edited so we can go back in and, and put these bits in anywhere in mm-hmm. in the show
2: i don't know i think you ask good questions it would be great to hear from virgil too that would be awesome and did you yes. could, did you reach out to uh, rob graves at all because he's the guy that owns fox hollow now
0: i did not shay did you reach out to them
3: did no you I, did. I didn't i didn't i didn't okay
0: not.
2: So he's he's a treasure trove of information about all this stuff and he's, okay. been, and he's been on a several shows so he's got you know his sound bites down pretty good but
0: yes yeah. absolutely so dan t hall thank you so much for being a part of this episode of serial spirits and for any of our listeners who want to to see any of your other documentaries they can find those on vimeo on demand v-i-m-e-o you can go on there and you can see other uh, documentaries that dan has filmed and produced
2: right there's i mean all of them i think the central state the first one i did and the one on h.h holmes is on there and the honey of fox hollow farm and Other places too, and there's a I think there's two series of the, uh, two episodes of the Ghostville series. So we um, traveled to Illinois and uh, St.
3: Louis and other places too. So
0: very cool. All right, Shay, do you have anything else?
3: No, thank you very much for coming on. No, absolutely,
0: Dan. No, that that's incredible. And so so, that was an incredible
3: um, interview that we did. And this is back in live time with Weebs and Shay right now. And I must say, like Weebs, after hearing that, how did you feel about everything that you heard? Even like the uh, part where he says, Why don't you end the recording and I'll tell you some other stuff? Like we're not gonna tell you what he said because he it was off the record, but just to hear somebody say that when they're giving you an interview is incredible because you get some inside scoop. And we can't we can't report on it because we told him we wouldn't, but there's some other stuff that you know, I thought evidently when I heard this, like I, you can go ahead and just assume for yourself what maybe this had to do with. And that to me was evidently in my brain the whole time, because if you look into the research and you do some of the stuff, when you, you research her Baumeister, there was a lot to it. So how did you feel after hearing that interview weebs?
0: So I felt like we really just broke the surface with the information that we're finding out about Fox Hollow Farms. We're kind of like diving into this wormhole of weirdness again, because we're learning that there's so much more. Hashtag
3: wormhole to weirdness. Shay, Shay brought that to the podcast, but go ahead. and <laughs> It's going
0: to be our first, uh, our, our first uh, t-shirt that you guys will be able to purchase on our yeah there you go so no uh, we started diving into all these different theories and once you start talking to the people who were actually involved either in the paranormal investigation or the um the detective work that gone that went into this this um this crime you start to realize there is so much more to the story. And I absolutely 100% do not think that her Baumeister acted alone, which leads us into the theory that whoever helped her Baumeister do this, if there was indeed someone, is still out there somewhere and could still be, you know, performing these crimes. Just, we just haven't put it all together yet.
3: And that leads into the other whole thing of like the, uh, did this interview and, and Dan talked a lot about EVPs that were captured. And he said that some of the EVPs that he captured were tied into his research. And he did not let the investigators know. Like, obviously, you know, they knew the area. They were paranormal investigators who had been, you know, who, who had know a lot of stuff about what happened with Herb Baumeister because you're from the Indianapolis area. It's, it was a huge deal, right? They started finding all these bodies on this farm. Like, be a, be a huge deal. But some of the research that he did... And some of the EVPs that he was hearing in real time, he says like it made sense to him. Like he didn't comment because he was the guy behind the camera. And when you do this thing, like it's one of the things that we talk about a resident undead. Like we say we are filming this stuff for everybody else. Like that camera lens is your view into watching us investigate. And that's what Dan tries to do too. He tries to give you the personal ex- perspective of what he's experiencing. And real time he's hearing some of these EVP's and he's like oh my god this ties into my research and i can't believe it anyway like he he is tying himself into this whole thing and he's hearing these things real time and he's like jesus h tap dancing christ i like i researched this and this makes sense so it's incredible and that's why i say to you right now like you know we're getting to the end of the episode and we just want to like clear things up there's going to be another part whether it's going to be next episode or in the third or fourth edition where we get on down the road, I don't know. But we're going to interview more people involved with this. We're going to get a hold of the owners of Fox Hollow Farm now and see if we can actually get an exclusive, you know, maybe a walkthrough of the, of the property itself and find out exactly where Herb Baumeister committed these terrible atrocities. So for myself and Annie Weibel, uh, I want to say thank you for tuning in to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. Any final words that you have to say about this, Annie Weibel?
0: All right. So I think my final thought into this episode is that really it's not my final thought. The more that we dive into this information and the more people that we talk with, I think we're finding out we're just scratching the surface. So our Herb Baumeister uh, Homicide to Haunting Parts 1 and 2 may possibly turn into Parts three and four. You just never know. So I'm excited to find out what kind of information we can find out from these additional individuals that um, we have been given, you know, contact information for and to just see what happens. Just roll with it and see what we can learn about this crazy, depraved serial killer.
3: Well, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast. We'll see you again in two weeks. Stay creepy, kids.
2: Some, uh, Bye-bye. As well.
1: He told her, no, he had not done that, and he suggested that do it because it's extreme high during a, a sexual encounter. Sexual asphyxiation is, is um, with some people's kind of a normal process. Some people just do it all the time.
2: There are two people very much that are still, I would say, trapped here. Increasingly more common is the
4: practice of capturing spirit images in the ripples of water. Focusing the camera on ripples in the pool informed the investigators that they were not alone. Is this a residual image? A watery death mass depicting a victim's final moments?
1: They will cut off the blood supply to the brain and then they know when to let loose. Is it Philip or
2: Phillips so or it's another name that's here?
1: So Herb put a swimming pool hose around his neck.
4: Herb started out using it as a sexual thrill.
1: Then Palmer could feel the effects of it, felt like he was going to pass out, so he acted like he passed out on the uh, right-hand side of the property.
2: I think there's five more bones. I think if you would dig here, there's five more bones.
1: Uh, the informant, there was a backhoe parked right in here.
2: The only backhoe he knew about was the police had brought in to dismantle that mulch pile.
1: No, nah, this was here when hurt.
2: When her, before that?
1: Yeah.
4: The rolling hills of Fox Hollow are now but a shallow grave for those poor souls not yet identified. Ground penetrating radar unit. You know.
1: OK line to find things that
4: are buried under the ground. Ground penetrating radar was brought onto the property to help verify the psychic's predictions. I rolled it there and seen it. I rolled it over there and didn't see it. I rolled it over here and didn't see it. Okay. So if I rolled it right here and didn't see it, that tells me it's probably not a root. Right. If there's a root, I would see it all the way up to the tree. Yeah.
1: And which I did pretty... see
4: stuff when I rolled closer to the tree. And actually, I want to kind of roll over through that area. Hope of unearthing further remains proved fruitless.
2: She did mention one thing that nobody else had picked up on. She asked if we ever found rope in this area, and we did. And a hacksaw place. They didn't find everything.
3: There's more back here.
2: We found a lot of old bleach bottles down in this whole area, and uh, a lot of, there's some glass there's glass jar of Vicks vapor rub. And what would that, what would that do? Well, you might Just to, you can put it under your nose just to cover up the smell of decomposition, yeah. if you're working around it or having to, you know. Let me tell you one thing, somebody did not die quickly out here. Okay, but it was a definite black figure, and it went. Behind the trees and peered around and looked straight at us, and it was somebody he really liked. Because I was looking for things that would trick me on that, but it had movement, and I watched it lean over. He did not want this person to like you.
0: I just felt there was a lot of unrest out there. It might have been perhaps the apparition that has been seen and actually murdered there instead of another location. And, uh,
2: might, might even be, be buried there someone that's not been identified.
1: They will cut off the blood supply to the brain and then they know when to let loose at the proper time. The goal, according to the FBI profiler, was probably-
3: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Serial Spears Podcast. Follow us on all your social media at vincefooty.com forward slash Serial Spirits. On Twitter at Serial Spirits. Listen to us on all podcasting platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you subscribe. Follow us on our mothership at paranormalwarehouse.com. Until next time, guys, be aware and be safe.